Proverbs chapter 10, the last two verses of that chapter, verses 31 and 32. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the froward tongue shall be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. We have a quotation from the Reverend Thomas Brooks that will introduce our uh, sermon here today. Notice Mr. Brooks. The penitent man's confession springs from inward impressions of grace upon his soul. He feels what he confesses, and his affections go along with his confessions. The poor publican smote upon his breast and confessed, Look as the sick man opens his disease to the physician, feelingly, affectionately, and as the client opens his case to his lawyer, feelingly, affectionately, so the penitent opens his case, his heart to God, feelingly, affectionately. Cold, careless, verbal, formal, customary confessions are no small abominations in the eye of God. Jeremiah 12.2 Such men's confessions will be their condemnation at last. Their tongues one day will cut their throats. Though confession to men is a work of voice, of the voice, yet confession to God must be the voice of the heart. Sometimes the heart alone is sufficient without the voice, as you may see in Hannah, 1 Samuel 1, 13 through 15. But the voice is never sufficient without the heart, as you may see in Isaiah 29, 13. This people honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Well, thus far the Reverend Thomas Brooks. So, beloved, last week we spent some time in a theory of language that may have been a little bit off our normal practice. We don't normally get into, quote, philosophical topics from the pulpit, but you will find that in modern philosophy, in, in language theory, if you will, that there are a lot of competing things that are said. And as the people of God, I believe that we need to understand language and how it, is, how it, how it originates or from where it originates. And then that will give us an indication as to how it ought to be used. I'll uh, remind you of our main thesis from last week. That if the language evolutionists are right and that language evolves out of the squeaks and grunts and whines and barkings and roarings of our animal ancestors, then we will have to acknowledge that language arose as a means of manipulation. However, if language originates in the triune eternal councils, and God in love and in the communication of truth and promise uh, communicates among the three persons of the Trinity, 
if God then, with that eternity behind him, if I can use that condescending kind of language, creates what is real with his word and then reveals himself through the personal and written word of God, well then, we have a completely different theory of language, don't we? Our theory of language has everything to do with what? With communicating truth, with making promises, covenants, and commitments one to another and back to our Creator. That's what the use of language is all about. And so when those men will tell you that language is not a competent vehicle for the communication of ideas, using language to communicate that idea, we must also understand that it is God's method of speaking not only in the eternal councils, but to his creation. And so we, as the people of God, must learn to use language in such a way that our creator does. So that was the sermon from last week in a, in a, in a nutshell. <clears throat> we we uh, looked at Isaiah chapter 59, and I can think of three passages of scripture where the Lord uses this method in a, in a lying day. Do we live in a lying day? We do. We live in a lying day. And there are three passages of scripture in Psalm 12, Jeremiah 9, and Isaiah 59, when the authors of scripture themselves lived in a lying day. And what did they do? They called upon the name of the Lord using words that, Lord, we live in a lying day. And the Lord answers them by saying, you may live in a lying day, but you are not the people of the lie. I have given you my word. And God, if you will, cancels the lies with the truth of his word. And so, beloved, the remedy when we live in a lying day, and this was the application from last week, is to stick more and more closely to the word of God. To hear the Lord speaking his truth. Of course, that was what we heard earlier today when we obeyed the truth unto unfeigned love of the brethren through the Spirit of God, right? So another sermon then that teaches us the necessity of getting our truth from Scripture. Not the newspaper. Not the media. And certainly not out of our own crack minds. But as living sacrifices, committing ourselves to God and His Word that we should be taught from it. And beloved, it is my prayer for you as a congregation and for myself as your pastor that we would be so familiar with the real thing that whenever something jumps up contrary to it, we can spot it and smell it a mile away. Right? So, and then we finished up last week in Ephesians 4 and we said that this is a part of what the ministry of the gospel is supposed to do. Right? That... When lies are abundant, when evil men lie in wait wait craftily to deceive, when even the people of God begin their careers as rebels, which is the foundation of that passage, he ascended up on high and led captivity captive for the rebellious also, that God may dwell among them. When lies are the stock and trade of ourselves and the people around us, 
that we commit ourselves to the ministry of the word, the teaching offices of the church, those five there in Ephesians 4, and it is the job of the teaching office of the church to teach us truth, that we may learn then to speak the language of Zion, put off the old man and put on the new man. So no more lying, speak the truth. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is for edification and then uh, put off all evil speaking and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So we can see that this concept of how we use words in Scripture is deep. It is very wide. It pertains to uh, the, the most rudimentary things, the, the machine engine of our lives. What I'd like to do today, then, is to move on in, uh, to, to look exegetically at these two verses. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, and then skip to the other positive in verse 32. Remember, it's positive, negative, positive, negative. Righteous, wicked, righteous, wicked. Okay, we're going to take the two righteous Proverbs together, and then the two wicked Proverbs together. So the mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. Let's look at those two phrases for a moment together. Um, <clears throat> the mouth of the wicked bringeth forth wisdom. Let me ask you this question. Why does it bring forth wisdom? How can Solomon make such a bold and unvarnished statement as that? The mouth of the just, that is the tzaddik, the righteous man, the one who is righteous by faith, that man, as we've seen him identified already in the Proverbs over and again, how can he make such a, a bold, such a bold statement as that and have confidence? Well, number one, he is speaking the truth of God, obviously. But what is the mechanism behind that? What is God trying to communicate to us here? And this is nothing other than what we've already seen in the Proverbs and what we see in the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is... Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's the just man that speaks uprightness. Why? Because he has that righteousness in his heart. His heart is, if we can put it in the Petrine language that we heard earlier today, his, his heart, his soul is purified. And because his soul has been purified by faith, then he brings forth out of his stock and store that which is upright in his lips. Solomon is not talking perfection here. We never see that in the scripture except in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Yet we do speak really and truly when we speak of uprightness coming out of our mouths. We don't want to think this is a, this is a fantasy or a pie in the sky or a dream. No, this is real uprightness that comes out of our mouths. It's not saving uprightness. It's not merit uprightness. It doesn't flow toward merit. It flows out of Christ's merit and out of faith in Christ. So let's look at a few other passages of Scripture simply to remind us of what we already know, and that is that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 35. A good man... Out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man 
Out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Okay, well that's a general and, and principal maxim. However, notice what Christ goes on to say. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Why? Because they're the vehicles that bring forth what's in the heart. If we're entertaining sin in our hearts, that'll eventually work out in our lips, beloved. This is the warning that Jesus gives here. Some of you maybe uh, watch old cartoons. I don't know if you do or not. I don't anymore, but I used to when I was a little guy. I watched old cartoons. Well, they weren't old then, but they're old now. Like The Watcher. So there was one particular cartoon that I enjoyed watching. But it wasn't the, the new one that they had just redone when I was a child. But I liked the original. And it was the, the, the cartoons pertaining to Popeye. Some of you may remember those cartoons. There's something about Popeye that I want to identify here. Not that he's a, an example in anything. But he illustrates what we're talking about. What Jesus is talking about here. So Popeye is this, he's this poor little guy with these great big forearms and these skinny little arms and Brutus is always beating him up and he always loses the girl. I mean, that's the story of Popeye's life, you know. And so Popeye always sees his whooping coming, you know. Brutus is going to get after him, he's going to beat up on him, then he's going to eat his spinach and then he's going to get big and strong and then he's going to return the favor to Brutus, right? Okay, but one of the things that, things that, especially in the older cartoons, Popeye is always doing is he's always, when he's walking around and things aren't going his way, and you'll remember that. He's always mumbling to himself. What is all of that mumbling? It's his murmuring, and it's, it's his complaining. And beloved, we may not let that out even to the extent that Popeye let it out in those cartoons. But if we're entertaining that in our mental dialogue, guess where that's going to end up someday? It's going to come pouring out. And normally, when it comes pouring out, it's a lot uglier than when it was going on back here. Jesus will tell us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and some would be apt, in their own experience maybe, to contradict Christ on that. Oh, come on now. That's not necessary. You can think things and you can keep your mouth closed. What Christ is saying is, you may be able to do that, but not for very long. Eventually, the truth is going to come out. And what you've been thinking will make itself manifest in your speech. Maybe not as explicitly as you have been thinking, but eventually it'll be well known. And so, beloved, we're here to ask ourselves what kind of dialogue we entertain in our thoughts. When we're disappointed, when someone does something we don't like, when we wanted it this way and it was some other way instead, what's going on back in here? What's going on over here? Brutus. Olive oil. All of that complaint and all of that murmuring and all of that storing up. Beloved, we must let that go. This is what Ezekiel will call the idols of our heart that build up. We've got to take them out. As we heard earlier, we've got to grind them to powder. And we've got to throw them in the, on the brook Kidron. We have to get rid of them. 
Out of the abundance of the the heart, the mouth speaks. And by your words, you shall be justified. And by your words, you'll be condemned. This is the importance that our Lord Jesus Christ attaches to words. You hear that? Not just what you're thinking, but the words. Now, Brooks, in our quotation, he was talking about our hearts, and we want to put these things together. We don't want to separate them. We want to bring them together. Now we turn to Luke chapter 6. Verse 43. A good tree bringeth forth bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now listen to how Jesus applies this immediately following. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you who he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house. And could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus immediately applies that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh by saying, you can say something you don't really believe. You can say to me, Lord, and then immediately following that say, no. No and Lord, spoken in conjunction with one another, is the greatest two-word contradiction you can think of. You don't say no to your master. You say yes to him. You say how high, halfway up when he says jump, right? So... Notice what Jesus says. He said, well, you can sound like you have the right things, but eventually it will be made known. In Psalm 37, that's the other scripture that I'd like to share with you on this passage, or this first portion. The reason Solomon can speak so boldly is because this is a just man, and so he's going to bring forth upright words. Psalm 37, verse 29 The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. So, very clearly then, notice, the law of God is in this man's heart. And what comes out of his mouth? Wonderful words. We see the same thing with regard to Christ, don't we? And this is one of those more comical passages of the New Testament. We'll not take the time to turn there, but, you know, the 
the uh, Pharisees and, and the religious intelligentsia, those who were in charge of the temple, they had their own guard, the temple guard. They were, they were comprised of Levites. And it was a necessity based on the fact that there were certain places in the temple that just not anyone could go. Only a Levite could go. And so there was a contingent of the Levites, and we see them with uh, Joash and Jehoiada when Athaliah is run out of the land. We see them forming that phalanx you know, around the young king, right, Joash. But what, what happens here is they have this temple guard, and they said, you go arrest that guy. And so these Levites, this temple guard, they go to see Christ and Christ speaks. And they leave without bringing him into custody. And they go back to the folks that sent them. And the Pharisees say to them, why haven't you arrested him and brought him? And they say, nobody ever spoke like that. We've never heard words like that. Beloved, These are the kinds of words we want to speak. We want to speak after our Lord. We want to speak His words. We want to speak those things that are so full of wisdom and truth. Remember in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus showed up in His hometown of Nazareth. And as His practice was, He went in the synagogue. And He stood up to receive the scroll to read. And when the president of the synagogue delivered the scroll into his hand, he opened up to Isaiah 61.1. And do you remember what he read? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim the year of liberty. In other words, this is Messiah's day he's reading about. When he's done, he sits down to teach because that was the custom in those days. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then it says that everyone in the synagogue marveled at the words of grace which poured forth from his mouth. Why? Because Jesus Christ has the spirit without measure. And those words of grace simply come pouring out of his mouth. And they all marvel at them. Those who were inclined to the truth sat at his feet in wonder at the wisdom. Even the doctors that sat with him when he was 12 wondered at his wisdom. And so we have then our Lord Jesus Christ as the consummate righteous one who speaks forth truth. And beloved, this is a very important point because whatever it is that we're having on the inside, it's what we're going to have on the outside. And so we must fill up our words, sorry, our thoughts, our minds with Scripture. This is why we press our catechism memory class. And one of the things I pray for the class after we're done every week is that the Lord would take those words that we're memorizing and make them sink into our thinking. That it's not just words we're repeating, but thoughts we're processing. And you can see it every now and then. I'll be watching our children while I'm preaching. And we'll come to a portion of the catechism and and we'll just give a little bit of exposition there. Some catechetical uh, truth that has been ensconced in their minds And maybe they didn't quite get it. And then suddenly, boom, you'll see it. 
the light will come on for them. Well, those are the great times of being a minister, right? When you see that kind of fruit. Now, beloved, we also want to make sure that we understand that we're bombarded with other kinds of information all the time. Right? It's not the kind of information we want to listen to. And we'll get to that when we get to the second half of what we're talking about. But I'd like to go on a little bit more and talk to you about this second point here. Um, First of all, let's remember that they have hidden God's word in their hearts. And so it pours forth from their lips. This is the example of Christ. It's, the, it's what Solomon is pressing to us. This is why in Deuteronomy 6, 6-9 and 11, 18-20, we're to talk of these things when we rise up, lie down, walk by the way, and so on. They're to be like frontless before our eyes and tied upon our hands and all of those things. This is that method of instruction that God has given us to change our hearts. There is the great change that comes upon our hearts in regeneration. And what a wonderful thing that is. But then there is more changing that needs to take place. Our hearts must be continually, as we heard today, purified. An ongoing work of purification. And that is indeed by sprinkling them with the words that drop from the lips of Christ and casting out all other things into the brook Kidron. So, One of the things that happens with regard to the people of God in this second phrase that we'll look at in a second, uh, we've already talked about from Colossians chapter 3, but but I'd like to uh, emphasize this today because I believe that uh, this is a part of what Solomon is teaching us. Um, Notice here in Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And so Paul makes it very clear there that the word of Christ is to dwell in our hearts richly. And then how does it come out? It comes out in speaking and singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual Songs. And I want to return to that in a moment after I show you a couple of other verses where the Lord brings together our hearts and our lips. Okay, so turn to Psalm 19, a very famous passage, uh, the last verse of Psalm 19. Reverend Dr. Stodshill will uh, make a, a little bit of a change in this as as he's getting ready to preach. He will say, remember, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts acceptable in thy sight. Remember that? That's what Dr. Stodgell does when he preaches. But notice what it says. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. What is the psalmist doing? What is David doing there? He is drawing together the heart and the lips. That's where the disconnect often is, correct? And yet, what do we hear? We hear the Bible telling us very clearly that eventually whatever it is that's in the heart is coming out. In the lips. Notice in verse 3 of Psalm 49, the psalmist will begin. Hear this in in verse 1. Hear this, all ye people, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. 
I will incline mine ear to a parable. I will open my dark saying upon the harp. And so what the psalmist is doing here is revealing the truth that is in his heart by way of prophecy. And so that truth is first in his heart and then it comes spilling out of his lips. We are to understand that, beloved. Solomon will write of this also in Proverbs 2, 1 through 15, in Proverbs 8, 5, and in Proverbs 14, 33. We'll hear of the bringing together of the heart and the mouth. If our hearts are endued with wisdom, Proverbs 8, 5, then our mouth will speak wisdom. And so on. We understand that. Okay, so in this second movement then, this second parable or I'm sorry, the second proverb uh, that is also positive, that speaks of the upright man. So notice the righteous, whoops, the mouth of the just, the tzaddik, the righteous by faith, uh, bringeth forth wisdom. Verse 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. That word acceptable caught my attention, so I did a bit of study on that this week, thinking about this word acceptable. And very often, that word is used in Scripture with regard to the acceptability of a sacrifice. It is acceptable as an act of worship. And so, beloved, the the other shoe that I want to drop in this second proverb is that our mouths have been created by God for a specific purpose, a very specific purpose. And that is that they might give up unto him offerings purified by faith. When we think of the mouth of the just, it's not just that he's speaking wisdom, it's that he's speaking worship. And I don't mean worship in the general sense, like, you know, I'm out telling a client how to take out a light bulb, and I'm doing that, you know, as worship. That's not what I mean. I mean that God has designed our mouths to praise Him. That He has characterized our speech and our lips with regard to worship as acceptable sacrifices unto Him. And so, beloved, this is the other thing that, I, that I'd like to mention here. That if the mouth of the just speaks wisdom, that's great. And so we want to fill our hearts with wisdom. That our mouths are full of wisdom. However... If the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, that is, they know what they can offer to God and not, then we want to think for a few moments for a few moments from the Bible how the Lord has presented to us the fact that our lips are an offering unto Him. So let's look at a few scriptures together. Hosea chapter 14. You'll remember this verse. This is the uh, Hosea. What a, what a difficult story, right? Uh, the Lord has an unfaithful wife in Israel. And so as an object lesson to that, the Lord tells Hosea to marry an unfaithful woman. Well, after this course that the Lord has brought the Israelites through in this prophecy of Hosea, the final chapter is the chapter of repentance. And so notice what it does, how it starts out. Verse 1. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words 
and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Did you hear that? The calves there speak of the offerings that were offered at the altar that we've been reading about in Exodus 31. Now they're not to rip their lips off and throw them on the altar. That's not what's being said. But what is being said is that their speech, even in repentance to God, acknowledging that he is righteous and they themselves sinful, and pleading the Lord for forgiveness and mercy, and that they should be received in his presence, that, beloved, is an offering to the Lord. They're rendering the calves of their lips. Beloved, we are designed... We are designed in our speech to render sacrifice to God, acceptable through Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Psalm 69 for a moment. Psalm 69, verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Stop right there for a moment. What is the service being given to God in that? A song. Thanksgiving. This stuff right here. What comes out of this hole, this organ right here, right? Watch this. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God For the Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoners. Let the heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moveth therein. For God will save Zion and will build the cities of Judah that they may dwell there and have it in possession. The seed also of his servants shall inherit it and they that love his name shall dwell therein. There are several applications that come flowing out of this passage. The first application is that... When we praise God, when we give him thanks, when we sing to him, verse 30, that this is more pleasing to him than an ox or bullock that hath horns or hoofs. That's a better sacrifice, is what's being said there. Now we may think that the, uh, that the psalmist here, this is, a, this is a messianic psalm of David, we may think that he's imbibing a little bit in exaggeration here, and it may be some poetic exaggeration. There are times when those bullocks and those oxes must, must be offered in the Old Testament. And a praise offering would not be um, acceptable at the time when a sin offering should be offered, for instance. Okay, we get that. We understand it. So what is being communicated then? That we ought not to slight those other offerings. The offerings of our lips that those things also belong to the worship of God and they have their place. There are times when they are more acceptable than the offering of an animal. And may I say that seeing that the Psalms were written to be sung in every age of the church, we can sing that with more confidence than the ancient Israelites could have. If we bring an ox or a bullock to the church, I'm sorry, beloved, we're going to turn you back with that animal. This is not the place for that. But it is the place 
for singing and thanksgiving to God. It is the place for that. Okay, so that's the first application. But notice the second application here. The humble shall see this, the meek, and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. I told you I was going to return to Colossians chapter 3 in a few moments. This is exactly the point. When we gather as God's people in this public worship and we lift up our voice to the Lord together and we use that organ for one of its principal design points and that is to offer a sacrifice to God, we encourage each other in so doing. We become the encouragers and examples one to another that we ought to be. Paul will go so far as to say, when you have this word of God in your mouth, when it's first in your heart and then it comes out in your mouth in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you're singing and making melody in your heart. Godward, in worship, you're teaching and admonishing one another. This is why the public worship is so very important. This is part of what we do, beloved. This is part of what it means to be a Christian, a priest, a member of, those, of that kingdom of priests that are offering spiritual sacrifices unto the Lord. This is who we are. We as the priests of God are praising and serving and sacrificing to Him with the calves of our lips. And beloved, don't let anyone minimize that or take it away from you. It's better than a bull. How important is that? How important is it for the humble, the meek? Yes, I'm going to go there. Our little ones, when they hear it, when they begin with their understanding that they have, to say, everybody's standing, I stand now too. Everybody's singing, nah, 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 I sing now too. And we've heard that here, haven't we? You know what they're learning? They know where they belong. They know who their people are. And they know that we all need to do something right now toward God. So let's do it. Whatever that is, they may not understand with the maturity that they will have one day. But they have something. And that something is acceptable to God because out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Oh, our lips are very important to God. Let us make sure that they are indeed as important to ourselves. In Hebrews chapter 13, So many things to talk about there. In verse 10, the writer will say, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have here no continuing city, 
but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You see what the writer has done there? It's the reason we reached back to verse 10. He's talking about worship and sacrifice. There are bodies of beasts that were continually being burnt even in his day. Hebrews was written before the fall of the temple, before the Roman destruction of Jerusalem. And so there are continual offerings being offered. And you know what the writer says? Those guys that offer those beasts there, they have no right to come to our altar. They don't believe in Christ. Well, what then? Are all sacrifices finished then? No. Jesus Christ, that one sacrifice suffered outside the gate. We go to him. This city is not our city. We go to him. And in going to him, we bring our sacrifices with us. Let us offer up the sacrifice of praise. The fruit of the lips making mention of his name. Beloved, these sacrifices continue. What's, what was said in Psalm 69 is affirmed in Hebrews 13, 15. We're still offering sacrifices as God's people. They come from right here. This is what Solomon means when he says that the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable to God. That is acceptable worship to him. We order our speech in the world in such a way so that when we come here, to praise God or when we praise him in our closets or give thanks unto his name and turn our mouths heavenward they're not filled with uncleanness they're filled with his word they are that acceptable sacrifice without spot and without blemish in the same sense that fallen animals were without spot and without blemish in the Old Testament These sacrifices, beloved, are ongoing. And they are offered by the kingdom of priests. Right? That's us. And we offer them up, what does it say? Continually to God. Turn to Psalm 40 with me for a moment. Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to us word. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not desired. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. 
I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 puts Psalm 40 in the mouth of Christ. And so notice what he said earlier on in the psalm. Verse 3. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. We talked about that just a moment ago as we set example one before another in praise. And then our Lord Jesus Christ, having that law written upon his heart, brought it out to the people. And his words were, like we said earlier, filled with grace, such that those that heard him turned back from their evil deeds. And let's turn also to 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 1. Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow Thereby, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming is unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You, beloved, are the priests to offer up your lips in praise to God. Well, there are many other passages that we could turn to. Um, there are passages that speak of this word uh, in, in the Hebrew, which speaks of acceptability. We, I, I put several passages in my notes here where that acceptability is shown to pertain to sacrifice and worship. Just to show that to you, but I think you're convinced. I think you know that where we're going with this is indeed good, sound Bible doctrine, that these sacrifices that we offer up unto the Lord are indeed acceptable through Jesus Christ. And this is our business, beloved. We're a kingdom of priests. We need to offer up those spiritual sacrifices. So then, in the second half of the speech of the righteous, we take it that it is an acceptable sacrifice to God. In this way, the New Testament saints, like the Old Testament saints, are a kingdom of priests. Remember that uh, Peter is only quoting from Exodus 19 in 1 Peter chapter 2. You say, well, they had priests in those days, so they weren't a kingdom of priests. No, actually they were. They were priests. You know why they were priests? Because they also offered up to God the calves of their lips. That's what they were supposed to do in repentance, in prayer, in humility, and so on. So we continue that, um, that same speech today. If we entertain falsehood then, lies, anger, irritation in our hearts, it will be found in our speech and our sacrifices to God will be not acceptable. Not acceptable. I would like to liken our lips, our tongue, our mouths, our vocal apparatus. I would like to liken that like the bowls and the spoons and the vessels of the Old Testament sanctuary by which those offerings were prepared and then sent or set before the Lord that he might receive them. That's how I see this passage teaching us about our lips 
in our mouths and how we speak. This is what Paul has in mind in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. That in the public worship of God, we offer our offerings to the Lord, the singing of psalms, the corporate amen in the worship service according to 1 Corinthians 14. These things are the way we edify one another and give our offerings to God as we worship him. And these are the things he has commanded for us to bring. We know that they are acceptable. And then finally, we will be edified and we will edify one another. We will partake of the work of the ministry and in our place and station we will edify the body as well. All right, so now we turn to the mouth of the wicked. We have just a few moments. I think it'll be enough time because really I just want to make one great big application here. So if we turn back to Proverbs chapter 10. Notice what it says about the wicked man. First of all, the froward tongue shall be cut out. The word froward there is like perversity. The tongue of perversity shall be cut out. And then notice, the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. Perversity, once again. The words are consistent throughout there. On the, on the side of the righteous, and then on the side of the perverse or the, or the froward. Well, we have seen this froward mouth before. He's been mentioned in Proverbs 2.12 and 8.13. We'll see him more later on in the Proverbs in 16.28 through 30 and 23.3. But I'd like to note the end of the froward mouth or the froward tongue. It shall be cut out or cut off, if you will. In other words, in one way or another, it shall be silenced. The Lord will silence the lips, the tongue of the froward. He speaks out of the frowardness of his heart. Now there are many times in the Bible where we hear about such things. I want to turn your attention to the Psalms. You guys are Psalm singers. You're going to recognize some of these phrases. Maybe you're already thinking of them. Wouldn't that be great to have that treasure in your heart that your mouth might speak about? If you're already knowing where we're going in the Psalter. Notice in Psalm 31, 16. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed. And let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. In Psalm 63, 11, We say it this way. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. In Psalm 107, 42. The righteous shall see it and rejoice. And all iniquity shall stop her mouth. In Psalm 120, 3 and 4. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. What does the Lord think 
beloved, about lies and lying? What does he think about speaking falsehood? What does he think about empty and vain speech? Well, I think we can say very clearly from these and many other passages that the Lord hates it. He says that he will shut it down. He will bring it to nothing. The people that tell lies, maybe we ourselves have imbibed in that, sadly. The people that tell lies, they believe that it will advance their case. That it will somehow profit them. What does the Lord say? It will not profit them. Those lips will be brought to silence. In fact, one of those passages said, silence of the grave. So in Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. There's another way that the lying tongue shall be stopped. When the lying tongue realizes that he's a sinner. And that lying tongue is no longer a, a tongue that tells lies. Rather, he confesses his sin and asks mercy, like we read in Hosea chapter 14. But how will we know, or sorry, how will he know, or we know, if we don't speak, if we don't tell the truth, if we don't require the truth one from another, that when our children in their immaturity, believe that they can advance their case to us by not being honest with us, that we set them straight in that. That we help them to remember that it is the truth that makes free and lies lead to bondage and death. Always. Our enemy, the devil, is the liar and murderer from the beginning. And how often we see, as we were noting Last Wednesday night's prayer meeting, the Eighth Commandment and the Ninth Commandment stand next to each other in application in the Scriptures. Because those lies often end up not only with a theft, but then that theft leading to bodily damage and injury and how we find death to accompany lies all throughout the Bible. No, the Lord hates those leasing lips, those lying lips and he shall indeed cut them off but beloved may I say it this way there are times where we're told to do that as well we're told to cut off those lying lips not that we would pull out a knife or be violent or anything like that and I guess you have to qualify everything these days but you're going to do it like Paul told Titus to do it in Titus chapter 1 a passage we read earlier. Let's read it again now with this in mind. Notice that this elder that is being spoken of here, this presbyter, this bishop, and remember that presbyter and bishop are the same office in the New Testament. Holding fast, verse 9, the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped. This is the Lord judicially and in the church through his ministers cutting off the lying tongue, the wicked, the froward tongue. 
And there are times, beloved, that the Lord calls upon us to do that. Whether it's our own mouths that need to be stopped, or judicially on the part of the eldership of the church, someone else's mouth to be cut off. To say to him, you don't get to teach the people of God. You get to sit in quietude and learn. This is not time for you to teach. You're teaching lies. And oh, that the church would rise up faithfully and demand the truth from her ministers and exercise proper discipline because the Lord says that proper discipline is how we come to truth together. So, beloved, Paul tells Titus to cut off those lying mountains. We saw this earlier with regard to um, will worship and adding commandments to the things of God so that people would feel more holy, forbidding to marry and abstaining from meats in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We identify that, that as particularly the work of the Roman Catholic Church. But it's not limited to that. There are all kinds of ways that pietists have added to the word of God and would press ceremonies to the people of God to make them more holy. Or to pervert the ceremonies that are to make the people of God more holy. We must listen for the voice of our shepherd and hide his word in our hearts. And sometimes the cutting off of those lying lips is simply going to mean we just click on the red X on the browser. Right? We must understand, beloved, that lies are injurious to the people of God. They injure you. They're not harmless things. And so Solomon will speak all over the Proverbs, not only of this general speech with regard to words, but he will speak even beyond that more specifically, and he will say that there are words that injure. They are like daggers. Well, those are the ones that must be turned back. Well, I'm past time. Let's turn to Psalm 12, and we'll close with Psalm 12. This is one of those passages that I started out with you when I said Isaiah 59, Jeremiah 9, and Psalm 12. When we live in a day that is awash with lies, the Lord drives us to his word. Listen to what he says here. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fall from among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things who have said with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver, tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation. What generation? That generation that speaks evil forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. But the answer is always going to be, beloved, the word of the Lord is pure. So I hope you noted in that passage as we read through it very quickly in verse 4 that 
These folks believe that their mouths belong to themselves. And so if I can return us to where we left it in the first half of this sermon, let us remember that our mouths do not belong to ourselves. They belong to God. They are the sacrifices that ought to be rendered unto him. Well, let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come unto Thee and we recognize as we have heard from Thy Word that there are times often when our lips go astray. That organ that Thou hast granted to us to speak truth, to encourage, to build up, to edify, wherewith to praise Thee and to worship Thee, O Lord, we have found out many other inventions of our own. Forgive us, Lord, we pray, for using our mouths outside of the design specification to offer them up unto thee. And grant us a growing understanding as to how we ought to use our lips. Fill our hearts with thy word, Lord, that words of grace would come spilling out. Fill our hearts also with love for thee that words of worship would come spilling out. That we would take with us words unto thee and render the calves of our lips. And then Lord we pray concerning the froward mouth. O Lord that thou would stop it in thy due time. And be with those who have responsibilities over their families. As we all have a responsibility over our own eyes and heart as elders have a responsibility over the church, and as a civil magistrate has authority over a nation or a region, Lord, to make use of those structures of authority to stop the mouth of liars. Lord, we ask for reformation and repentance in the church, that judgment would begin at the house of God and then spill out into the community around us, and Lord, we ask that, that these offerings might be acceptable unto thee through Christ and that thou wouldst purge our speech. In Christ Jesus' name we ask. Amen.